0: So literally every time in this game that she had disadvantage and couldn't get out of it, she would just close her eyes to make it cooler. If I'm rolling poorly anyway, I may as well shut my eyes and so if I hit, it's dope.
1: Live for the dangerous Dice Cave in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 312 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about shiny math rocks. But first the
0: party fights mind to mind in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Dice Goblin makes a pile of polyhedrals and rolls them as often as possible in the Character Creation Forge. Alright, Yishin, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Fairhaven, the peaceful capital of Andair, the party is hunting down quarry mine seeds. They have discovered and destroyed a Hanbalan one of the Rhaedron monoliths that can control minds. And as the dust from the explosion settles, the party keeps watch from a rooftop across the street. In air elemental form, Warden scouts the cathedral and spies three aberrant humanoids milling aimlessly near the altar. Back outside, the party waits for an hour to see if there's any response to to the destruction, but none comes. They wait one more hour just to be sure, and then finally determine that their quarry must be inside. And they head on in to find Triage, Otho, and Gersey.
1: The dust patterns on the floor within reveal little foot traffic in the cloisters behind the cathedral. Instead, it is most concentrated in the nave and near the altar. Instead of approaching the ambling enemies, they find a broken door in the back and enter from the other side.
0: Switch notices a large stone bath filled with dark water. A ritual bath isn't out of place here, but it's in the wrong location, too close to the intersection rather than centered on the altar. Also, water would have evaporated long ago in this abandoned building.
1: Warden, currently hovering near the ceiling, dives directly into the water. The basin is deeper than normal and the water is more viscous and oily than it should be. It's hard to tell as an elemental, but he suspects it would likely be toxic to a normal humanoid. Inside, he notices a small depression that he suspects is a Switch.
0: Lenore tries to examine the outside of the basin, but when she approaches, the aberrations finally take notice. They look up, and the party can see flesh grown over where their eyes should be. One of them sends psychic tendrils deep into Switch's mind, and she feels at peace for a
1: moment before shaking it off. Another opens its jaws and howls. They hear the psychic wail only in their heads. Their noses begin to bleed, and Bramble is knocked to the ground by the mental assault. His nerves respond only shakily, and he cannot stand or control his limbs very well.
0: A third burly creature lopes toward Lenore and hits her with two tentacle-covered fists. The slimy touch dulls her nerves too. Switch charges in, and her first swing impales it, but her next smite attack ricochets off a shield of psionic energy. The feedback lances into each party member's mind, sending them reeling and knocking Lenore
1: unconscious. Warden forms a whirlwind around two of the creatures, and Vesicod takes a calculated risk, dropping a heightened confusion on the scrum, trusting the druid will be able to shake it off. He does, but one of the creatures isn't so lucky. Still trembling on the ground, Bramble is able to crawl over
0: to Lenore to heal her and then he tries to paralyze one of the monsters with a spell, but it's able to resist. Xan, the warlock, takes a moment to study the burly one and determines that it can't reflect attacks all the time. So he lets loose with three blasts of crackling Eldritch energy,
1: severely wounding it. Conscious once more, thanks to Bramble's magic, but still suffering the effects of the tentacle poison, Lenore opts to stay on the ground. She takes a deep breath and aims her bow at the creature that hit her then whispers the command word closes her eyes and puts an arrow through its brain releasing herself from its hex
0: I just want to point out here that this is what happens when you have players who have been playing a character long enough and in enough situations that they understand how the mechanics are interacting with the narrative. Staff knows that disadvantage doesn't stack so literally every time in this game that she had disadvantage and couldn't get out of it she would just close her eyes to make it cooler (laughs) (laughs) i mean if if i'm rolling poorly anyway i may as well shut my eyes and so if i hit it's dope right (laughs) (laughs) and we'll find out what happens next next week so this week shane We're talking about a topic that I basically just assigned to you, because you won't stop talking about it, Um, and I think you probably count as an expert.
1: I don't think either of those things are true, but uh, you did assign (laughs) it to me, and so I did cover it. Uh, This week's topic is
0: dice. Should we have split this up? I don't know. Like This reminds me of one of our early episodes where we were like, hi, episode four is magic. (laughs) <laughs>
1: no, I, I think it's fine. Um let's there's a lot to dice, but there's not that much to dice. Okay, okay. Also episode four, I believe, was magic and magic items. Yeah, that 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 was maybe a bit ambitious. I think
0: it's when we thought
1: we would go, I don't know, fourteen episodes. Like eight episodes. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, so tell me about dice. Dice are a core part of the tabletop experience. They are the default randomizer. Everything is dice until somebody decides to use cards or something else and those are pretty much lame yeah dice, dice are better uh, dice are certainly uh, more viscerally fun to uh, pick up in your hands roll around and then toss toss in the box or whatever they're way more clacky than cards right and they're also uh, shinier and mathier and more expensive uh, definitely they're more ex- expensive. expensive yeah yeah <laughs> I am not an expert on dice, uh, but I have picked up some of the basics from collecting, uh, as well as, you know, uh some of our friends who also collect dice or make dice or uh just generally have uh started paying a, a fair amount to the uh physical aspect of the hobby, uh more so than maybe uh we did in the past.
0: I think beyond their use. In the game, there is you know an aesthetic aspect to them um th- there are so many more things that go into dice other than simply generating
1: uh a random number. I think you and I had the same attitude for uh the majority of our hobbying careers of who cares they're just dice. Give me a random number. I hope they roll well or at least like feel like they roll randomly. Yeah, give me a set of dice that roll high.
0: I don't want to specifically buy a set of dice that is loaded. I would just like, you know, a lucky set of dice. Right. Yeah. But like for the game, you really only need one set usually, right? Like, you know, your, your seven set of polyhedrals. And if you have that, you can play almost any RPG. And, you know, if you like, travel or whatever go to a con it might even be that you bring only one set because that's all you really need but once you start going beyond once you start once you start being like well i mean it's good to have two sets because i gotta i gotta roll a lot of d8s yeah or two d20s yeah yeah you know advantage and disadvantage or, or whatever and then and then you start going well i mean i'm a paladin and so i need
1: like six d8s Right, or I'm a rogue, so I need those extra D6s for my sneak attack. Like, maybe I should, instead of getting the set of seven polyhedrals, I should get the set of ten polyhedrals.
0: And, you know, like, I don't want them all to match, because sometimes you want to be able to pick them out. You want them to look different, or like, you know, this is the sneak attack die, and over here, these are for for my fireball. These, These red ones are for my fireball
1: Uh uh-huh that's how it starts Mm -hmm. and then before you know it you've got eight sets of dice you don't even know where they all came from they're stuffed in a crown royal bag and now you're you're a a fledgling dice goblin yeah yeah once you have the crown royal bag there's no turning back uh so yeah so uh for my own uh collecting i i went from basically having a few old sets of chess x to uh we were at gen con maybe it was our first gen con actually uh Oh, our first together and uh mm. I bought game science dice uh because they're the precision dice and it was from all Colonel downhill Luzaki. from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got mm-hmm. sold mm-hmm. got sold by Colonel Luzaki and it was all downhill from there.
0: That was also my entree to like non baseline chess X dice mm-hmm. where, you know, the the marketing was like
1: the sharp edges and I was like yeah the sharp edges i do like the sharp edges though mm-hmm.
0: yeah the, i know i, I know. just don't care that they roll randomly
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh i now now own several handmade sets from from different handmakers. uh i've got a handful of collectible sets from like level up from ice cream dice and from chess x like i think the uh i guess the the best like Flex that I have, and from a collector perspective, is that I own the entire Chessex Festive line, uh, including Festive Mardi Gras and Festive Purple, which are the two like rarest of that set. So, um, you know, a, a few hundred dollar sets of uh, of Chessex dice. Uh, sorry, that's not a few sets that are a hundred dollars. That's sets that cost a few hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And then there's also an aspect here that, you know, not all dice that you can buy that are, you know, affiliated with RPGs are necessarily for gameplay. So you can get specialty dice that are helpful for creating dungeons or creating maps or randomizing weather or different random events. Uh, I know like if you go to the game science booth at any con, like Colonel Luzaki will happily like sell you the most clever D 100 that that has like, all of the dates and all of the days of the week and it's uh it's dark or it's light side for whether it's a.m. or p.m. on the random time generator that you needed for your your one die to determine all this
0: i mean i'm
1: probably going to get that the next time
0: i actually go to an in-person gen Con.
1: yeah in five years yeah
0: for our secret santa this past holiday i bought the person a um set of it's it's the five uh dungeon tile dice Oh you you actually uh,
1: bought the dungeon tile dice. Nice. Yeah,
0: yeah, not for me, for them, but like it it starts you down a path, right? Uh-huh. Because you get you get the five dungeon tile dice and it's like this is the regular dungeon with like the walls, but they also make like a wilderness set and <laughs> and like an arcane set and you, you know, and suddenly you're like I mean, I like these. Why would I also not like these? Mhm.
1: Well, uh not to not to rain on that parade maybe that's what we'll split out to another episode if we need to Uh, i think for this one we'll just be talking about your regular numbered sets of dice where you're just trying to get a number out of it uh not not one of these kind of one-off special purpose dice
0: no like chess x icon uh genesis dice uh yeah those (laughs) exist
1: well i mean the genesis dice. yeah so the the genesis dice are a little little wonky but let, let's focus more on just like the math rocks and not numbers the All rocks, right. huh
0: fine with me fine okay so what are things that people should know about
1: dice so there are more qualities to dice than uh than you initially think when you go in and you buy your like your first uh your first cube of chess x polyhedrals right 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 in the the little plastic gelatinous cube that you're uh-huh. gonna use uh-huh. yeah uh they now by the way make a line that is sold in a test tube the uh Chess X lab dice, they're they're kind of experimentals. Yeah, you can now oh, buy them in a look test at tube. That. Yeah, they're not all those uh crystal mini cases anymore. So well, it's too bad because it's a great gelatinous cube. <laughs> right. Uh so the first thing is the size, right? So they're generally standard size, like uh it's it's really everyone is kind of aiming for the same size D20 um though there are these smaller like bricks of d6s that have pips on them right that are usually used for wargaming and then a lot of times you can get like oversized d20s if you want to those are somewhat common uh especially if you look at like more exotic materials so uh but generally you're looking at like your standard size set of seven polyhedrals or you know maybe 10 or 11 polyhedrals right they might add an extra d20 or extra d6s to the bunch
0: right and standard size is like the d sixes are basically the same size as you you'll find in like a monopoly set,
1: yeah, exactly, um, but not like casino sized dice right uh and then the other thing is materials, so I know you have ventured into this a little bit as well, but you have your mm-hmm. kind of like plastic or resin material it's uh, usually I just say resin, though technically there are other like non resin plastics that get used, like chessex, for example, I think isn't actually resin, um but then there's like from different makers you can get stone dice or metal dice or wooden dice uh i own metal and wood do you own stone
0: i do not um no i will probably at some point get gemstone dice which i think might count Mm. um but yeah no i don't own stone i have metal i don't yet have wood i'm open to it although i like heft yeah that's
1: that's the the thing with metal is it's too heavy because uh, it knocks around too much. The, the wood is very light. Uh, but I got some actually for our fifth anniversary. My wife got me uh-huh. wooden dice, and uh, I like them. I, I do like them. They're, they're light, but they're,
0: mm. they're fun. I mean, that, I think, is both of our issues with the game science dice. Like, hard edges are nice, but they're really light.
1: Yeah, the material that they use for game science is just way... It's not dense enough. It doesn't feel like they roll enough is the problem. Well, actually, next up is aesthetics. (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) this is where you get into, like, the color and the vibrancy and uh, whether you have inclusions, right? So that's the stuff that gets added into the resin when it's poured. So usually this is going to be, like, sparkle or glitter, things like that that add, like, shine to it. But, you know, if you look online, you can get, um, well, certainly between handmakers and even some of the, like, kind of more mass market dice, like, you can get things like, you know, little rubber ducks inside dice or a little dragon inside dice or um like a piece of a flower or something like that you know uh just in the center of the die and then they've gone ahead and inked around it and done just like anything else
0: yeah i mean they're essentially art pieces at that point especially if you're getting handmade ones like you know some of the lower end mass produced ones are essentially what ejection molded mm-hmm. you know so they got like a sprue and whatever but handmade dice are often poured and so you get a lot of like interesting layered ones and you know they can put whatever they want in them at any point in the process right of course that also potentially introduces
1: you know non-randomness when you're rolling them uh yeah it's almost Mm -hmm. like having a you know a a tiny plastic rubber duck in the center of your die might make it not roll fair But as long as you don't know how unfair it is, what's the difference? Who cares? You didn't do a chi-square in your dice? What are you talking I about? I did not chi-square my dice.
0: I chi-squared my, my game science dice. They are I, very fair.
1: I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> I believe you though. Um the other thing uh that, that often get brought up in aesthetics are windows. So uh in in especially in dice that have colors or like mixes of colors, a lot of times uh they will also mix in a clear resin um which creates a, a window into like the the depth of the inside of the die and mm-hmm. that like it adds like a, a a depth component to it so i think one of the like um the most common is like the Chessex dandelion which is like a green and yellow swirl but it has like a clear resin in it and and the the examples of it that have those like windows are generally the ones that are most valuable to collectors. So people are curating their sets to try and get ones that have, like, really beautiful windows, um, which is a a real thing.
0: I mean, you know, this from the the earliest days of, like, staring at marbles.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot like marbles, yeah.
0: And then graduating all the way up to, like, you know, learning about diamonds or gemstones, if that's your thing, Mm -hmm. right? We're already talking about inclusions and, I, you know, yeah, I know. In fire. <laughs> the, the four C's <laughs> of dice. Right.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's talk about numbers. Yeah. This is one of those things that everybody's got a preference for, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't think about the the variables of numbering, you have a preference for this. Uh, the simplest one is, hey, do you use numbers or do you use pips? Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's just the D6s, but you know, your monopoly dice have pips. They're just dots. You count the dots, that's the total. Um, usually your RPG dice will have the number printed on them. Uh the other one is the uh is the D4. Like there's you know whole opinions on whether it's the top of the um the top uh, of the uh-huh. pyramid where the numbering goes, or it's the bottom of the pyramid where the numbering goes. So is it the the point or the side?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've definitely not bought dice because i didn't like the typeface of the number oh yeah there's the typeface right or the spacing of the pips like i don't like when pips are too close to the edge of the face (laughs) yes because then they feel crowded with the other faces right i mean Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and so i i like a mix i mean i think probably people end up with a mix right like i have mostly numbers on my regular polyhedrals but then like you got that brick at d6s and that's pretty much all pips but like those yeah. i i truly like like they're red with black pips and like these are for
1: fireballs you know yeah yeah those are i mean those are your war game dice right like yeah exactly those are those are not really for rpgs those are for when you need to to roll 36 bolter shots <laughs> right it's for shadow run <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> um so another thing that to keep in mind is the coloring of the uh Of the ink on the numbers so um you know typically you ink them in a color different from the base of the die usually a contrasting color uh though sometimes you can see dice that have either had the inking removed or haven't been inked yet they're sold like quote unquote uninked Um, yeah there's a 50 percent
0: chance that people who use those dice are cheaters
1: uh well a lot of times people paint them themselves so you oh sure but if you're rolling them
0: and you haven't painted them and you don't intend to paint them (laughs) (laughs) then you're just trying to make it hard for
1: other people at the table to see what the number is yeah maybe could be could (laughs) be a thing uh personally like i pay a lot of attention to the typeface uh the size of the numbers Mm. the legibility of the typeface the the contrast of the ink um because like i recognized a while ago that like my eyes weren't perfect and i often we end up playing in places that don't have like the best lighting and, like, I hate having to, like, squint down and try to figure out what my, what my dice what, what my dice outcomes are. Like, I mm-hmm. just want to, like, quickly look at a glance. So I want the yeah. brightest, most contrasting colors I could find.
0: Especially when you're running the game, right?
1: And you need oh, yeah. to be able to, like, look at these numbers very quickly. Yeah. Um, there's also the question of the six versus the nine, right? Like, what's the marker that's used to determine which one is which? So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you get the, uh, the line under one or over the other or the dot is the other one you know it's six dot or it's just nine Um, i like the dot personally but um, i see i see the line being much more common yeah
0: definitely we uh, had this with uh the one ring rpg dice uh sometimes certain numbers are just symbols yeah uh
1: this i think is probably well most annoyingly when it's on the one uh when, when people put a symbol on the one it's it's rare Uh, And it's annoying because usually you substitute the highest face for the symbol, uh, and and this is like, you know, uh, you go to a con and you want to buy the the Gen Con dice, right? And so the 6 on the D6 is a Gen Con 2020, and like, congratulations, you got the Gen Con dice, right? Um, or like you know, you're supporting your favorite podcast, and so you bought their dice that have their logo on it that goes on the six, and then every once in a while somebody goes and puts that logo on the one, and it's like, well, now I have to remember which set of dice has a logo on it uh, has the icon on the on the high number, or which of them has it on the one. Thanks. Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, you know, this isn't the case with ones where though it's a one and the twenty. There's usually novelty dice where it's like you know the 20 is a yeah and the 1 is a f-
1: right uh well that was what i got for my secret santa uh this <laughs> or last time we did it was uh yeah the the 20 said fuck you <laughs> and the one said f- me <laughs>
0: <laughs> now one thing that i think bothers me but maybe doesn't bother a lot of other people is like i really don't like spin down dice i know uh, so
1: Yeah. So there is, there is like a, a, a pattern to the numbering. Um, and there are like, that that is one of those things that like when you're, uh, authenticating dice and trying to figure out where they came from, who manufactured them, like what the provenance of them is like looking at the number pattern is definitely one of those things that matters. So there's a, there's a classic like numbering pattern that Chessex uses, but spin down means they are sequential so that you can like, it's used for tracking and counting, and that means you can just rotate them, like you rotate it over one face to increment or decrement, like uh, Magic the Gathering creates. Right, exactly. With a lot These of are their... great, great as life counters.
0: But the reason that this isn't, isn't usually the case on random number generators is you put opposite numbers on opposite sides of the die, so that if there is error in the die or it's loaded in a particular way um, or it's unbalanced, you still get a pretty random assortment of numbers. Whereas if you have all the high numbers on one side and all the low numbers on the other side, if it's loaded, loaded in one way or the other, you're gonna get mostly high numbers or mostly low numbers. Right. So like, uh, you can still have ones that are weighted toward like 19s and twos or ones and 20s or whatever, but you know, in general, it still averages out across your rolls.
1: Right. Yeah, and this is, um, you know, it's the the classic pattern is uh, the, If you add the opposite faces together, you should get the number of sides plus one. So Mm -hmm. six goes across from a one on a d6. Two goes across from a five on a d6. That's just kind of the classic numbering sequence.
0: All right. Let's talk a bit about making dice because in order to figure out what you like to have in your hand, it helps to know about the process
1: yeah so the the basic process is is called tumbled so the dice are cast uh with like an injection mold on mass uh then they get inked usually by <laughs> a very uh inaccurate process of inking right that has a lot of spillover uh, but is intended to fill in the the number uh wells and then they put them in a tumbler and they basically roll them around for a while uh and that that tumbling action um smooths out all of the imperfections on any of the faces any sprue marks things like that but then also like wears off the excess ink so that the ink sits only within the number wells and what ends up happening is the edges tend to round off a bit so you can see that kind of telltale like you know they're not they're not so round that they don't stop but they're not as sharp as like proper precision dice and this is the chess x right i mean chess x dice are this yeah and you know if they're a little over tumbled then they they really don't stop they just <laughs> yeah just keep i mean going. or like twenty, right and i think that's uh especially like earlier polyhedral dice were, were really bad about this like if you look at, at stuff from like the 80s or 90s like it's really bad um if you look at like some of the the modern like chess x dice like they're not as sharp as like handmade dice but they're Pretty good edges a lot of the time, you know. If you get a good set of them, so it's they've they've improved the process quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, the benefit to the tumble dice is they're much cheaper than handmade dice, and also you know they're shiny, right? Like they've been polished. It's uh, plastic or resin usually, and you've got a really nice sheen right out of the the
1: package, right? Uh, if you're gonna handmake dice, this is uh, <laughs> this is where it gets labor intensive. So you cast them by hand by pouring resin in a mold uh then you take them out like once it cures you sand them and polish them by hand and then you ink them by hand so you're you're literally like carefully ensuring that you're only sanding the edges preserving uh sorry only sanding the faces preserving the edges right and making sure that you're getting like basically the cleanest possible outcome the shiniest possible the um you know, there's a technique by which you pour, like, a little clear resin uh, to kind of even out the sanding marks and things like that, that that sort of make it all look aesthetically pleasing. Um, and wow. then this creates, like, a bunch of individuality, right? And and they, they have unique imperfections because they're handmade. So no two are going to be alike. The The way it gets poured, the way it gets cast, the way it gets polished, like, they're all going to be slightly different. Even within the same quote-unquote set, you really have seven individual dice
0: part of the like fun of handmade dice is that it's potentially something that you can do yourself at home you know when we go on you know Thrillicon retreats and like the whole home gaming group is like you know off somewhere for a weekend or whatever like half the group is making dice <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like it's it's not crazy expensive it's it's maybe 200 250 dollars worth of materials um y- you can go I mean down a whole rabbit hole right it's its own hobby uh it's certainly its own episode but the the kind of the main question here is really where do you source your molds because um, molds can get really expensive like like upwards of 80 to a hundred dollars per die um so if you look at a set of polyhedrals, you know you're you're talking about seven right depending on
0: you know how many you want to be making at a time
1: right um but then you can also like make your own molds just by you know what do you use as your blank well take the dice you own that you really like um you know use high quality silicone learn how to do the casting for that uh and you can actually get you know pretty good molds of dice um at least like good enough that you can uh, fix the imperfections with with sanding and polishing right can you do all of that for less than 80 dollars? probably not the first time but you know eventually yeah but it's a hobby right like it's right. a it's mm-hmm. an art and a craft so you need the materials and then you also need to practice it And your first set will be terrible uh mine were <laughs> that's why i stopped yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: quit, quit while i was ahead
1: right um but this is the easiest way to add whatever inclusions you want, right? So whether it's glitter or it's, you know, fun stuff or it's uh multiple colors, like you can control everything. You can control the swirl, you can control like uh the timing of when you add it, so like the degree to which it settles into the dye, like you, you get to you get to play with all of that stuff.
0: Teeth. You can add teeth? Uh you can definitely mm-hmm. add teeth. I yep. cannot stop you. I That's also That's true.
1: Cannot endorse you. You've tried and yet here we are <laughs> um if you're gonna make casting dice like more of a side hustle uh or or you just want to take your hobby to the next level that's when you get into you know looking at pressure pots uh and custom molds and you know you've got kind of a responsibility to not be copying other people's dice you need to make your own so um you know you, you go and a lot of times I think people 3D print to get their blanks and then they, you know, make the make the mold from there. Um, but like a pressure pot will be sealed and then it, it's pressurized, so it forces the air bubbles out of the resin um, as you're casting it. So it gives you like the better precision uh, in the, the shape of the dice. And then it's especially like if you're doing translucent colors, like you want those air bubbles out because you can see those, right? The air gets trapped inside and then you can see the bubbles uh, cause you can see through the dice. And this sort of gives you an idea of like, you know, what is the
0: level of quality that you're getting from this hobby at this point? Right. Because like prior to this point, you are going to end up with, you know, inclusions and air bubbles and things like that. Things that would probably not pass muster in a commercial product, like even like a bare bones Chessex dice. I, you know, I'm not expecting to see
1: air bubbles in it. Uh, right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that those are actually probably worth more because they're cast. <laughs> right um but you're gonna get those with like
0: you know you're like just for fun i make them myself hobby dice until you get to this point
1: right yep um and then there's like that sort of mass handmade category right where it's it's using the same principles of hand making um but it's in a factory setting right so a lot of time they're using like uh, an injection mold and and more of a like kind of repeat process to get the um to get the dice molded. Um but then once they're cast, you're hand sanding and hand polishing, hand inking, um, and kind of like producing them on a, a more consistent quality. Um so you get that kind of signature sharpness that handmade dice can get, but they're easier to just keep in stock and buy from retailers than um than you might find otherwise. So like this is like dispel dice, uh which was a, a you know, million plus dollar Kickstarter, um, back in, I don't know, a few years ago. Um, you know, they, they went and set up factories in China to produce their dice for them. So they're kind of using the principles that the creator, uh, developed in order to, to make the initial ones. Um, but then sort of, you know, building that out on a factory format. Uh, and
0: then there's, as we mentioned before, Precision Dice. These are from games, Game Science. The intention is that they're perfectly balanced, um, which probably is why they're not fancy at all, right? Like they need to be completely uniform so that they always roll true. And, right. you know, my
1: experience is they do roll true, and they're not particularly fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I mean, the, the Game Science Gem Dice, the ones that are translucent, are like, okay, fine, right? Like these are aesthetically fine. Uh the game science regular the opaque ones are a little bit cheaper, but boy are they ugly <laughs> and and uh Colonel Luzaki would rather sell those to you uninked because he's gonna charge you ten dollars for the inked versions, and uh that ink is gonna run. Let me tell you, like all of my uh I ended up giving up my my game science dice to uh i donated them to make the molds for Susie's hand making set because I was <laughs> like, I don't like rolling these. I still
0: have my original, like black with white inking. Uh huh. You know, and <laughs> oh, well, and a Zakihedron, a D100. So, well, Zakihedron's different. I mean, that's the specialty dice among specialty dice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about picking your dice.
1: All right, well, I think first thing is what do you want them for? Uh, are you buying them to play with or are you buying to collect them? Because rolling and using them can wear them uh you know so if you're collecting like high-end very expensive handmade dice like maybe you don't really want to play with them and then maybe you have different objectives right like i sometimes i buy really really pretty dice that i have no intent to ever roll um other times i buy you know well pretty dice that i perfectly intend to roll they're going in a dice bag and they're going to get rolled until i i get bored of them you know
0: yeah i mean that that's the the thing is, you know, you can issue tumbled dice for, you know, nicely sharp edged handmade stuff, but as soon as you put them in a dice bag
1: with all your other dice, you're tumbling them. Yeah. That's <laughs> and that's what happened to my game science dice. Right. <laughs> it's like they just got tumbled around and the ink started smearing and I realized <laughs> I hate them. <laughs>
0: It's also important to remember that even if you are planning on rolling your dice, that sometimes is not great for them. Like, particularly gemstones, like, they shear, you know, and if they land at the right angle on the
1: wrong kind of surface, you you can get some breakage. Um. So, yeah, so you want to think about how you store them and then also how you roll them, right? So are you rolling them in a dice tray with, like, a foam bottom? Are you rolling them in, like, a leather dice tray? Are you rolling them squarely on the table? Um. You know, that that might impact what kind of dice you get. Um, You know, are you going to store them in a dice vault, you know, like a, you know, a a padded tray or are you going to store them in a bag or are you going to store them in their original gem case or are you just going to like, I don't know, put them in a plastic bag like an absolute being of chaos. And this is when you you start looking at Moe's numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Like, which of these is harder? Can I put my metal dice in the same bag as my stone dice? Huh. depends on what kind of stone. Right.
0: <laughs> and even then, like, don't hit any of them.
1: Right. Uh, you also, like, really want to take a look at legibility, especially if you're playing with them, right? So the size of the numbers, any special symbols that are on them, uh, the contrast between the dye color and the ink color, like if you're gonna roll them, I I am of the opinion that you know if I'm rolling the dice, their purpose is fundamentally to play the game. So I want them to make playing the game easier. So I want to be able to make sure I can read the friggin' things. I hate like dark ink on dark dice or light ink on light dice. I, like I can't I can't see it.
0: Yeah, and that's something to consider when you're looking at like you know those fun color or like layered dice or swirls, right? Like especially if it's a design that is slightly different on every die. You're going to want to look at the actual dice with your own eyes to make sure that, like, the swirls aren't landing
1: in particular places where they're hard to read. And then you got to decide on the aesthetics. You know, what is it that you like? You know, uh, literally, like, there's no wrong answer here, right? It's all preference. So if you like the look of a of a set of dice, like, those are the dice for you. These uh, super cool, like, uh,
0: digital clock face dice where the the numbers are like the an 80s alarm clock you do have um, those i do have those and i i desperately love them and they have like it's like purple ink like like a like an old 80s alarm clock yeah you those of those most... they gl- they glow in black light <laughs> most
1: annoying dice that i've ever seen and i'm so happy that you like them but they are so not for me and i was with you when you bought them and i I think i told you that in that moment i was like i have found you the dice that you wanted but i want you to know that i don't endorse this Mm -hmm. yeah and i was like nope these are the ones for me Um, there are also like some people construct dice palettes, so they assemble a bag of dice that represent their characters, right? So you might have reds and yellows and oranges if you're a fire mage, or greens and browns and like, you know, uh, natural colors if you're like a druid or a ranger. Uh or you know, purple and pink if you're a Slaneshi cultist or a Rom. So one and the same. That's a thing I used to
0: do for a little while was like I'd pick up a new, like just Seven piece set of dice for a new character that like felt like it fit that character
1: yeah i don't i don't do that but i do uh i mean I can't I, anymore because i know. I think I'm heavily biased myself towards like bright colors and uh and glitter so like i I have a lot of like purple and pink <laughs> glittery dice because they're just they're they stand out more and I like that every day is just dreary well it started with nobody steals your pink dice and then like you know I started Playing more and more games with a bunch of queer people, and now they, they will steal your dice. I mean they won't steal your dice, but like, you know, they our dice all look the same now. <laughs> also, you're playing a lot of Grimdark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And need, it's just it's a, a nice contrast. Out. Right.
0: <laughs> all right. Here's here's a loaded question. How many dice do you need? You need one
1: set. You need zero sets because there are plenty of online dice rollers. that's incorrect i cannot even (laughs) we're not even having this conversation you need one set i just don't know what goes in that set it depends on your game doesn't it (laughs) i mean for
0: playability like a a table you sit down to a table to play i think probably two to three sets on hand is like the most convenient
1: i tend to agree yeah um especially if you have like happen to have a uh, a 10 or 11 piece set that has the extra D sixes. Cause I feel like D sixes are the ones that you tend to need to grab in stacks.
0: Yeah. I mean, or, or I'll just supplement with like an extra fistful of D sixes as right. well. Yeah. Other than that though, like as many as you have room to store and
1: make you happy. If you're rolling a lot of smites, then you probably want to bring, you know, extra D eights. If you're rolling a lot of fireballs or sneak attacks, you probably want to bring extra D sixes. Uh, It's fine to pass the pot around to collect extra dice when you have a crit and you want to roll them all at once. Uh, That's fun for the table, but it's very annoying when every time you cast your core spell, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, asking for for somebody to loan you some dice.
0: Yeah, uh, you have a build where you've got to roll 2d20s at the same time. Every single round, have two of them. Right. All right, so what if you want to up your game and you actually want to get into officially collecting dice?
1: uh so there is uh there's there there can be a lot or very little to collecting dice because ultimately all you need to collect dice is sets of dice that you like uh and i suppose at some point you probably want to keep track of what they are and where they came from but other than that you just have to have dice that you enjoy but there are some uh let's say some things to keep an eye on uh and then maybe like some of the common lines of dice that that tend to have good collector markets uh, which is good because that means you can find people to get them from, especially if they're out of print. Uh, and then you can also always find people to sell them to if you want to get out of the hobby. All right. So what's the difference
0: between carded and uncarded dice?
1: Uh, yes. If you look at any uh, any like buy-sell trade uh, group for dice, uh, you will see carded and uncarded quite frequently. This is basically a Chessex term um but in you know with Chessex dice whenever you buy them in the brick they have that little piece of paper inside there that tells you like Chessex and it's like you know model number CHX1297 and it's you know borealis uh clear with black right and like that tells you the model and the the dice and like that serves as like okay these are the dice that i own i have the card for them here you go this is my provenance right like this is you know the signed copy autographed by the author like that's that's its purpose um it is usually a value add um and it's pretty much expected if the set is still in print so it's usually a good idea to keep them um but then again like for really rare dice like that are that have been out of print for long enough like it's rarely a problem to sell them even without the card. The card is just, you know, somebody might give you some extra money if it has a card, but the most expensive sets are sold carded and uncarded all the time. And like, I mean, we're talking like thousand, like easily a thousand dollars for like some of the older like Borealis sets that don't ever sell with cards.
0: So like everything with RPGs, it can cost no money or infinite money. Infinite anywhere money. on that yeah. spectrum. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately. <laughs> All right, so if you're looking to collect dice, like what are the what are the, like the brand names typically that you'll be looking for? Obviously, like if you're if you're buying handmade or whatever, those those aren't going to be like as as common
1: yeah so the the main brands that get collected uh chessex is just it's the name so the like the kind of most collectible line there is the uh borealis line and it's specifically the o g or old glitter so fun fact uh up to a certain point uh they were made with one one type of glitter uh in this line um and then uh the Euro came out that used that same material in the uh, in their currency, <laughs> and so when it was adopted by the Euro, it could no longer be sold to any for any other purpose, because obviously it would then be a risk of counterfeiting. And so Chessex ran out of that old glitter and then had to switch to a new gl- glitter supplier. Uh, and that created a split in the line of OG versus ng, new glitter. Uh, and so the old glitter has a different look to it people who know can tell people who don't know probably can't so be careful obviously if you're looking to trade in in the old stuff like make sure you know what you're looking for but yeah it just created like even for things that were still in print there was a like a line of demarcation in like 2002 or something that now it's new glitter and it's less valuable
0: see old glitter and new glitter Um, everyone who works in
1: rpgs is very creative exactly (laughs) um along with chest x are kind of the old like original polyhedral makers so crystal cast you may remember from your youth or king cards we're talking about dice that are expensive because they are
0: hard to come by are they particularly attractive to look at or is it really just a rarity thing
1: uh i would say that there tends to be uh a correlation with with the aesthetic yeah so like the borealis line is is really like one of the prettiest lines that Chessex ever made um the uh i would say like i really like a lot of the festive line which is why i started collecting that um the uh vortex line from Chess X is like really pretty swirls. Uh, so like the Vortex Dandelion, uh, Vortex Purple, like those are really, really pretty as well. Um, so like they're, and they're not as rare, but yeah, I mean, I would say like the ones that look, the ones that have like really nice look to them do tend to be more collectible, but it helps if they go out of print. Um, otherwise, like they sell for a little bit more, but a lot of times people are looking for like curated sets that have like lots of windows or like, really good color swirls and not a lot of like muddling and mixing of the color, right? They want it to be really distinct and sharp differences rather than like kind of like muddy brownish, you know, too much mixed together.
0: So by curated set, you mean like um, a set of seven dice that has been selected from multiple sets to get the prettiest windows, for example. Correct. Yeah, exactly. I also see a lot of Q workshop dice, which seem uh, to be a little higher end than chess x but still pretty common
1: yes so q workshop is cool they do they have this like kind of unique filigree that they put on the faces so it's not just the number but it's usually something like kind of around the edge that sort of surrounds it um it tends to be thematic so like you'll have your steampunk dice or your like magic or elemental dice right and they'll all kind of have something a little bit different about them um they do a lot of like themed releases for different games or some limited editions so like for example i have the uh limited edition like Australia wildfire dice that they like donated the proceeds for the Australian wildfire benefit back in uh early 2020 and that was the worst thing that happened that year and we shouldn't talk about anything else that happened that year. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't release pandemic dice. I don't understand. I, I know, weird, right? Um but yeah, so like they they do stuff like that. Um and th- they're popular, right? I mean, it's just like people like them and they they tend not to do like FOMO on their dice which people really like you know there's no like oh if i don't buy these now i'll never get another chance but mm. they do cycle their inventory often enough that it's like hey if these don't end up selling well but they have kind of like a cool cool look to them like they might be worth something later um you know because they will just discontinue them when they when they you know are aren't moving so it's 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 a cool they're like i think a polish company um but like they're, yeah, I mean it's 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 easy. If you like the aesthetic of the like kind of filigree on the edges, like they're a little more they're a little less Spartan. Um, that's a really, really good brand to get into. So if you are
0: trying to potentially speculate on dice that will be worth something in the future, it seems like a couple ways to do it. One would be just buy and hold for a very long time uh-huh. and hope that no one else is doing that. Mm-hmm. Or it seems like you want to hit the sweet spot of cool looking and like pretty enough that people like them but not so amazing that they're going to be so popular that they'll always stay in print
1: that is yes that is a trick <laughs> <laughs> there's also like people collect the kind of chinese mass market dice which are even cheaper than chess Um, so there's two main companies that make these and then they end up getting rebranded and resold through lots of different retailers and lots of different dice lines um, but you'll see, like, in, within dice communities, a lot of times they will be sold as their, like, source brand. So you might go to, like, Bryce's Dice, uh, which is a website, and buy something that's called, like, their, you know, Midnight Glow, right? And it'll be like a bluish-blackish dye. But that, that Dice set is made by a company called HD. Uh, and they have sold that to four other retailers who've all called it something slightly different. Uh, but it is the same set of, like, bluish black dice with silver numbering. Um, and so, like, you can absolutely collect those. They tend to really not appreciate much, you know, but they are fun to collect. There's lots of them. They do stuff with, like, really cool patterns and layering. They, they made snow globe dice uh, if you want glitter on the top and a color on the bottom. So they look like little snow globes.
0: Uh, and it sounds like it's a low barrier to entry.
1: these dice very low barrier entry yeah the other brand is uh udixi u-d-i-x-i um probably pronounced some other way now that i say that out loud because it is a chinese company but like um yeah i mean those are the two and and you can find their dice anywhere if you just go on amazon and look for dice like you can buy them by the the dozens of sets um but they're a great way to get like into a lot of stuff. They have a lot of times they're like really aesthetically pleasing. They're just not rare and they're probably never going to be rare. And that's fine. Like collect the dice you like bonus. You have a lot of dice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great. If you need lots of pallets.
0: <laughs> uh, and then we talked about this before, but there are a lot of handmakers out there. Um, it, are those worth collecting? Uh, They absolutely
1: can be. Um, they are difficult to track, difficult to predict. This is the art market, right, of of collecting. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't stamp collecting. This is now you're talking about the art market where you're trying to identify handmakers who are going to get really popular and get very hard to acquire. And then you are going to sell your dice on to somebody who's like, oh, I missed out on this person's, like, commissions. What's Who's got them out there? I want to buy one, right? And it's very personal, um you you've gotta find them on you know etsy on instagram uh maybe on twitter and and you're looking for like when are their commissions open, and you're easily paying like north of a hundred dollars to three hundred dollars per set um and a lot of times it's like they're making it exactly for you and you're working with them on colors and this and that. And it's, you know, it can be a whole deal. You can get very beautiful dice. Um, but it is from a collecting perspective can be very challenging. Uh, and then every once in a while they get picked up by a, by a brand, they do a line. Um, so like, for example, I have, uh, I have a, a couple sets of dice from a maker called fortune favors who, uh, collaborated with level up dice. So I, they're made by level up, but they're her design. Uh, and I have several sets of hers.
0: Uh, since it's an art market, uh, I only get these dice by stealing them from other people. <laughs> and so get at my table.
1: <laughs> that is the worst.
0: I would be so mad at you if you stole my dice. Oh, but no one knows that it's me except for, you know, my calling card. Obviously. Uh, right. Okay. It's just a small little duck.
1: <laughs> uh, I and will mention. <laughs> God damn it. I will mention uh one other brand that is collectible but awful uh which is Kraken Dice. <laughs> they are they are like sponsored by Kraken Dice. They are the, just the absolute worst. I mean the dice are pretty. They have done just basically every shady business practice from like really lousy like FOMO marketing to kickstarters that raised a bunch of money and then they like you know, they released dozens and dozens and dozens of dice before fulfilling their Kickstarter obligations. They've knocked off other makers designs. They have really lousy politics. They're just like one of the worst companies. And then to boot, they put their stupid logo on the 20, uh, of all their dice. And like, even if they were gorgeous, that's a deal breaker for me. So, uh, I, I, they exist uh they cause drama every time they're mentioned in any dice community um i just like oh god just stay away i just uh don't i'd rather people don't collect dice and collect Kraken dice <laughs> don't give them any money in the show notes you'll find uh links to a few different sets of resources i'll i'll call out specifically dice db uh which is db drnod.de uh, it is basically a wiki that has just a bunch of information about different dice lines and manufacturers and, and kind of catalogs what they are it's a great way to find um, like the a good like source of truth on like chess x for example like if you want to collect chess x that is bookmark that page because that's where you can find all their lines all the dice that were in them when they were released discontinued etc and you can kind of figure out exactly what you're looking for Um, the r slash dice community on reddit is fairly good Uh, and then there's a couple facebook groups that i will link as well Um, they tend to be private um, and then they tend to have like kind of um, like sister groups that are specifically like the marketplace as well so they'll have one for discussion and then one for marketplace ads
0: Uh, and then we'll just say very quickly there are plenty of dice accessories out there that you can get um, but consider what you're collecting how you're collecting uh and like how your accessories are going to interact with your dice if you have very expensive dice that you want to roll very gently maybe a dice tower is not what you're looking for
1: Mm -hmm. might be worth buying a dice tray with a nice padded surface
0: (laughs) i mean i get get a dice tray or a dice box or something anyway no matter what because People are getting nicer tables these days. I don't know. Maybe I'm just adulting a little too much. Yeah, but <laughs>
1: it's always like I probably shouldn't roll these on your table. Yeah, it was fine when it was on my parents' dining room table, but now that it's on my friend's kitchen table, it's not okay. Yeah, it was fine when we did it on carpet, so I could yell every once in a while. Oh, it's cocked. Let me
0: re-roll it. <laughs> uh, and then wide array of like dice bags and things like that with all kinds of you know logos and whatnot. Right.
1: Yeah, 100%. Different shapes, different logos. If you want it to look like a little stuffed animal or a little Cthulhu or whatever, I'm, there's a dice bag for, uh, for every taste. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. That's your, uh, your introduction to becoming a dice goblin, Ishin.
0: Um, it actually does make me want to buy a few more sets. And I think the limiting factor right now is I need a bigger, better bag. Or maybe uh, more bags.
1: Wait till you get to the point where you're ordering the jewelry boxes on Amazon. So that you have a place to store them all.
0: Oh, yes, the, the, the display cases. The
1: display case, yeah, yeah, that's where I am.
0: I don't want them to see the light of day. I want them to be happy when they come out of the bag, so they roll 20s. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of my dice are bag diced. Some of my dice are display
1: dice. They know who they are. All right, all right. I mean, I
0: do need to charge them so they, they glow. So they glow, yeah. That's right, the, mm-hmm.
1: the latest gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, do you hear that, Ishan?
0: the clickety-clackety sound of my very cheap but very pretty dice in my dice tower
1: well if i'm hearing the clickety-clack of shiny math rocks that means it's time to move on to the character creation forge but before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And
0: you can tweet at Ishan at
1: Evil Sans Carne. That's malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast.
0: You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find
1: us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes.
0: All right, Shane, this week you built the Dice Goblin.
1: What's the dice goblin do? The dice goblin takes a bunch of extra random dice and rolls them in a bunch of different random rolls. <laughs> so you'll never roll alone. That's what the dice goblin does. And true goblins will have different dice for each purpose. So you'll be able to keep track of which d8s are for your uh you know, your your battle master uh uh, superiority dice and which D6s are for your sneak attack and which are for your, well, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but your bardic inspiration. It sounds like you could bring all your prettiest sets to the table. That's the goal. Alright, what's the build? Uh, the build is Divine Soul Sorcerer 1, Battlemaster Fighter 3, College of Whisper Bard 5, and swashbuckler rogue 11. Okay. We haven't had a forfer in a while. Uh, yep. And we probably won't again. <laughs> All right. So obviously this is a goblin. This is a goblin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of this is particularly thematic around this, but it's a dice goblin. You're going to be a goblin. You get dark vision. You get fey ancestry. Uh, you get fury of the small. So you can add your proficiency bonus to an attack's damage. Uh, profi- proficiency number of times per long rest. Uh, and then you get the still worst thematic ability of any race, nimble Escape, which lets you hide or disengage as a bonus action. Of course, a thing you'll already get from rogues, so it's pure overhead. Pretty well. You know, goblin rogues are unheard of, so
0: there's never overlap.
1: One of the worst types of rogue, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: all right, so we kick it off with what? Swashbuckler 3 which gives you these can't two expertises and sneak attack eventually up to 66.
1: Uh, but we start off with mm, 2d6. Uh, you'll get cutting action at second level. And then at third level, we get fancy footwork. So creatures can't make an attack of opportunity against you if you attack them and rakish audacity, which lets you add your charisma bonus to initiative and then trigger sneak attack if an enemy has no adjacent allies. So this ensures that almost every attack you make you'll get to roll your extra sneak attack dice and that will begin your path to dice goblinhood. All right, so let's keep track. Uh 66 sneak attack dice. 6 uh-huh. dice. Okay. Yep. All right. Then uh we will take 5 levels of whisper bard. So you'll get your inspiration dice at first level, you'll have up to your charisma modifier uh and they will be d6s to start. You'll get up to third level spells and then you'll get jack of all trades and song of rest. So Jack-of-all-trades obviously just adds half your proficiency bonus when you don't already have your proficiency bonus on a skill roll. But Song of Rest adds an extra D6 when you spend hit dice. So there's another plus D6.
0: There's another. So we're at 7, and let's be honest, we're dex primary. So I bet Charisma probably ends up at, let's go with 18 because it's useful. So that's four more inspiration Mm -hmm. dice. So we're at 11.
1: Okay. Now you hit College of Whispers at level three and you will never share your inspiration dice with anybody else again, because you're a goblin. These are mm-hmm. your dice. You will keep them. Right. We're, we're
0: we're lar fleas. That's, that's what we
1: are. Correct. Uh, so <laughs> psychic blades, <laughs> you can spend your inspiration dice to add 2d6 damage once per turn to your attacks. 13. Uh, and then you will also get words of terror, which, uh, forces a wisdom save or your target is frightened once per short rest if you've spoken to them for a minute
0: you get uh, two more expertises and then at level five of course fonts of inspiration means your dice recharge on a short rest rather than a long rest uh, and they
1: become d8s now we will then take Battlemaster fighter up to level three uh, we'll start with fighting style available from tasha's cauldron of everything superior technique you will get a battle master maneuver and a d6 superiority die. So go ahead and add that one to the pile. 14. Uh with that, you will take fainting attack, which as a bonus action lets you grant advantage to yourself on your next attack against the target. Uh, if you hit, you add your superiority die to the damage, uh, which lets you just you know roll that on the pile, but also grant yourself uh advantage that that guarantees you will now always attack with Sneak Attack because if you don't have an ally nearby and they aren't isolated, then you can just grant your own fainting attack and you will definitely have your Sneak Attack dice if you hit. All right, you
0: get second win and Action Surge and then battle master, which gives you proficiency in Artisan's Tools and some maneuvers.
1: Yeah, so you're going to take all the maneuvers out of Tasha's, which I will say for combat superiority, these... Boy, are a stretch, but here we go. (laughs) Uh, First, you'll take Ambush, which lets you add your superiority die to a stealth roll or an initiative roll. So your initiative is going to also get huge. You're adding charisma, half your proficiency, and freaking D8. Plus your dex based. Two dex, yeah. Uh, you'll get Commanding Presence, which uh, lets you add your superiority die to Intimidation, Persuasion, or Performance rolls, and then you'll get Tactical Assessment, which lets you add the die to Investigation, History, or Insight. You won't be good at those things, but you can fake it pretty well between Jack of All Trades and the extra D8.
0: hmm and you are now at 18 extra dice.
1: We will take one level of Divine Soul Sorcerer, that gets us level 1 Cleric Spells, and with the Law Affinity, gets us Bless so you can add a d4 to all of those (laughs) 19 uh and then once per short rest you can use favored by the gods where you can add 2d4 to a failed save or attack roll
0: hey 21 and then we finish off swashbuckler rogue uncanny dodge two more
1: expertises evasion
0: and panache
1: uh, yeah, so panache is the uh, the taunt, so you uh, make a persuasion, which you, of course, add all these extra dice to, commanding performance, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if it's, a, uh, it's opposed by the target's insight, if they're hostile, they become taunted uh, until an ally attacks it or harms it with a spell, so they can only attack you. And then if they're friendly, they're charmed for a minute. Uh, that should go off with pretty regular regular consistency here. That should not be hard with all the stuff you're adding on. Uh, and then, of course, at eleven, you get reliable talent. That's your capstone. You can no longer roll below on your uh, on your reliable skill. So it's
0: uh, so level twenty. Ignore the dice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, no. Ignore the main dice. Only pay attention to your dice. <laughs> All right, that's 21 extra dice. Mm-hmm. And only mm-hmm. at level 22. You actually, I mean, you have all of your 21 dice at like level, uh, what, 10, maybe? 11, something like that. It's like you don't have to go very far to get them all. You just need to keep going in order to actually use them all. That's, yes, correct. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters.
0: Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill and supporters at any level get access to our plot hook of the week bonus content.
1: So what do we have planned for next week's episode?
0: We're talking about playing communal characters and in the character creation forge we're
1: building sharing is caring. Well, that's it for episode 312 of total party thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane and I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.